0: Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Encounter Church. My name is Dirk, lead pastor here at Encounter Church. We are kicking off a brand new series here today called Love Has a Name. And we're going to get into the four names of Jesus over the next four weeks that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But before we move on into that, I want to begin with a story of an experience that I had. Uh, This is a little while ago. This is uh, some years ago with a conversation I had with a woman who was from the South. And you have to know that she was from the South because there's just certain expressions, there's certain things, there's certain words that people use that mean different things depending on which region of the country you're from. For example, as a a Midwesterner, if I were to say, like, bless you, I would mean that in earnest. Like, that would be a nice, kind gesture where I'm offering you something well, right? But if you're from the South, then you use an expression like, oh, bless your heart, you know that there is a scathing criticism coming up following those words. So you just got to kind of know that as we move into it. I'm talking to this woman. She's from the South, right? Find out what I do. I'm a pastor. And so anytime, you know, somebody finds out that I'm a pastor, we got to kind of go through the little ritual, the song and dance. The first thing you got to do is apologize for swearing. Even if you hadn't sworn in the conversation, it doesn't matter. It's just how how these conversations tend to go. And the next one is to offer up like whatever religious experience you have or don't have in your life. So you find out you know, talking to a pastor, and it's like I, I don't I don't go to church, and it's like <laughs> I'm okay. I, Would you like to come to mine? Like, I don't know. I think you'd like it, right? Or people say, I left church a long time ago and it went when I was a kid, whatever it is. So I'm talking to this woman. She's from the South, right? You're a pastor. And and followed by, oh, it was Christmas time like this. So it's followed by, oh, we had this new priest one time for Christmas. Bless his heart. And (laughs) he took Christmas way too far, And I'm wondering, like, I have done, in my time here now, I've done 10 Christmas series. So just for curiosity's sake, I'm wondering, like, how in the world do you take Christmas too far? I mean, like, Jesus was born, right? So I ask, and the answer is, oh, man, this new priest of ours, like, he... Just he was setting the scene and he starts talking about the is south, right? So the animals and the animals, the smell that came along with it. Oh, help me. Heaven help me. We had the, we had the, the, the birth and it's like drawn up like Mary's birth, you know, giving birth to Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, like it's Christmas, right? And I'm just thinking about, and you guys know if you've been coming to Encounter for a little while, maybe if you're brand new here, you're going to figure this out real quick. We try to kind of be real around here, right? Like at Encounter, these are, these are actual historical stories that we're like rescuing from the baby board books that we like turn them into. And like these are actual historical events. And so anytime I've ever been around farm animals there is a smell that always accompanies that experience, right? And like children being born, I mean, there's just some universals that come along with it. And so I'm just like, Christmas, like, way too far. Oh, man. And then she kind of turns and asks me, like, well, what are you doing for Christmas this year? And this is a few years ago, and we were doing a, a series here uh, that was kind of on, the, uh, on the, the broken family tree of Jesus. We called it Knots in the Family Tree, but it became affectionately known internally as Shady Ladies. So I offered that, and we didn't talk too much about Christmas after that. That was, that was kind of it, right? But it just kind of strikes me, and like looking back, on that experience, right? And she's saying, oh, this priest, right, he took Christmas just way too far and like, bless his heart, he did not last too long in that context before he moved on. But that's what we do, that's what we do sometimes around Christmas time. Is we take like this historical events of like God breaking into the world, and, and we take that historical event and we turn it into something else. We polish it up, or we mementoize it, or we just like we. What do we do? We we make these little nativity sets. And so at my house, we've got competing nativities. Two kids, which means two nativity sets right the older one has like baby jesus and the wise men mary and joseph it's almost a complete set the younger one just has two jesuses and i think he's winning <laughs> this is one of them it's baby jesus in a pringles snack can which i really love right and we put the we put the nativity pieces out and it's It's good. Don't get me wrong. I like having the nativities. I got nothing against them at all. But we put them out in order to remind us that God broke into world history and he could break into yours too. That's why we do the nativity thing. Don't forget that. But it is so incredibly easy to lose picture of the God who breaks into world history and breaks into your history. And it's so incredibly easy. To turn Jesus and turn that event into just this little keepsake, something quaint. And listen, the problem with that is quaint is not going to fix your problems. And if you feel like I'm talking directly at you, I'm talking directly at you and me. Because as we head into Christmas time, we've got problems We've got all kinds of problems. I read a statistic uh, earlier on that said something like 26% of people are carrying last year's Christmas debt on into this Christmas. The amount of stress that that creates. We've got problems. This is like, like, like highlighting loneliness time of year. We've got problems If you don't get along with your family, this is like record close time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And it's like, I need more of a buffer than that from these people. And now all of a sudden we're like, just get done with Thanksgiving and we're thrust into like Christmas parties. And all of a sudden overnight there's like 10 feet of snow outside and it even looks like Christmas. We've got problems. And the problem that we have this morning is that quaint isn't going to fix our problems. But Jesus is. Jesus can, if we could only just rescue him from the quaint board book style nativity scenes that we'd often settle for. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to try to see Jesus as he was, uh, the names that are used in his setting, and then apply them to to us today. So if you'd like to start flipping to it, we're going to go to an Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 7 and 9. There's Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible at home or if you like our spider, take it. That's our gift to you. Can't steal it because we gave it to you. The words are going to be on the screen here too. In just... A minute and we're phone friendly, so the Bible app glue, blue screen glow on your face. That's a good thing. We like that too around here. Um, Just to set it up though, the story takes place 735 years before Jesus was ever born. And we just got to know some of the history that God chose to break into because I think it's helpful to know that you're not the only person, you're not the only family with problems this Christmas. In fact, whatever problem you're bringing into it, I guarantee you Ahaz, the guy in the story, his problem was so much bigger. The problem that he had 735 years before Jesus was born is that he was the king of the southern nation of Israel. It had broken into two that was cleverly named a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They started calling the southern kingdom Judah. And Ahaz was the king of that southern kingdom. And the problem that he had is that the northern kingdom's king and another nation, Aram, but that doesn't matter. Don't write that down. Those two guys got together and said, hey, Ahaz, why don't you join up with us and we're going to together attack Assyria? Which seems like a great plan on paper, like three against one. I mean, how could we lose this thing, right? Except for Assyria is like like huge. Assyria is like like the rest of the world at that point, basically. Assyria is like the big kid on the block. And so this Ahaz is like, wait, 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 wait a second. Modern-day equivalent would be like Haiti and Dominican Republic asking Cuba if you want to join us in marching on Washington, D.C. Like, it's going to be great. It's going to be fine. We can win this. And it's like, no, no, no. That's a terrible idea. Why, why would you guys want to do that? And it really didn't have anything to do with attacking Assyria at all. They knew they couldn't win that fight. It had everything to do with the political spin that the kings in the north were going to use to attack the south, is that they always had this bitterness and this animosity, and all they needed was an excuse. And so if the Ahaz, the king of the south, said, hey, listen, I'm not, that's a ridiculous plan. I'm not going to go with you on that. That's a suicide mission. If he said that, then they would use it to say, see, if you're not with us, you're against us. And then he knew that they would gang up and defeat him. Ahaz had a problem at Christmas time even years before Jesus was ever even born. But Ahaz had a bigger problem because every king before then always left himself kind of an out. Every king always had the option of of going back to God and saying, hey, you know what? You made a promise, and I'm actually going to hold you to that promise. You said you'd look after your people, and I really need you to show up and look after your people, namely me, right now. Except for Ahaz's problem is that he turned his back on God a long time ago. In fact, he did everything he possibly could to formalize his back-turning onto God. He created all of these other uh, the temples and deities that they would worship in. He offered his sons as human sacrifice to these gods and goddesses. How, how awful is that? He was remembered, the Israeli people, the this southern kingdom thought so badly of him that when he died, he, they didn't even bury him with the other kings. They didn't want to remember him that way. Ahaz had a problem. He couldn't just throw himself out on the temple steps and say, God, remember me, because he he burned that ship a long time ago. He gave up on God a very long time ago. And this doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the message this morning, but I just have to remind you that this story reminds us that even though you gave up on God a long time ago, listen, God did not give up on you. In this case, in this case, God sends God's man, Isaiah, to go speak to Ahaz and remind him of that fact just because you turned your back on God does not mean he has turned his back on you. God sends Isaiah to offer him some encouragement. Isaiah comes up to him and says, hey, listen, guess what? God is endlessly compassionate. And even though you did these horrible things, God has not forgotten about you. God is still with you now. In fact, He told me to tell you, Ahaz, ask him for a sign. Ask him for any sign you want, whatever you can think of, whatever's in your imagination, ask him for a sign and he'll give it to you just to remind you that he still cares. And in the infinite imagination that King Ahaz has, he comes up with nothing, at all. He can't think of a sign. He doesn't give him a sign. And so then God has to take another step further and say, fine, you can't think of a sign. I'll give you a sign. And that's what we read in Isaiah chapter 7, starting off in verse 14, where it says that the virgin will conceive. This is your sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Isn't that kind of tongue-in-cheek to say from a king who's given up on God a very long time ago, a word that means God with us. He's always been here. And then Isaiah continues and says, this is this is a sign this baby is going to be born. And then he starts like uh, predicting like all of these other events that are going to take place. And it just goes on for pages and pages, for, for a couple chapters now. Isaiah is just like talking to Ahaz on behalf of God and saying, and then this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen. And then he gets down to our passage for this morning in Isaiah 9, verse 6. And he says, Back, back, back to this baby now, back to this child. For to us a son is born, and to us a son is born. Is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called, and it's this fourfold naming process wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. Essentially, this child that's going to be born is going to be known by these four different names, these relational names. He's going to grow into these names. And we know it now looking back and saying the baby was born. It took 735 years, but the baby was born. And Jesus was called Emmanuel and Prince of Peace and Mighty God. And Jesus, for our purposes this morning, he was called Wonderful Counselor. And if we have any shot of seeing God break into not only world history, but your history and mine, if we have any shot at seeing God solve or fix any of our problems that we bring into Christmas this time of year, we'd be wise to consider Jesus as the the wonderful counselor. That word, it's a mashup of a couple words in Hebrew that's used. Pelayawetz. And and what what the expression means is wonderful counselor. It's wonderful. It's beyond, it's too wonderful even for words. It's like the moment that maybe you know somebody who's been praying for a baby, praying for a baby. They can't have a baby, which just makes them pray for a baby. And they ask everybody else in their community, in their small group, in their neighborhood association, like anybody that they meet, please please pray on behalf so we can have someday have a baby. And then, and then church, the moment happens. And you see a picture of it. And it's like dad, like looking down into this little miracle baby's eyes. There's no words. It's too Wonderful for words. It's like when time stops. Wonderful. Counselor. It's a wonderful counselor. What I would love for you to take away from the time today is that when we say wonderful counselor, that you give Jesus at least as much credit and respects as you would any other counselor that you might go see because what we don't want to do is to kind of settle this thing down for Jesus is that wonderful kind of guy that I can text at 3 a.m. and say hey listen she just said this she's the worst am I right and yeah yeah you're right she is the worst I hate her too That's not the kind of counsel that we're talking about. This is not the kind of counsel that like snaps off something or like, no, 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 I got to go shopping because I got to make this Christmas the best Christmas in the whole history of all Christmases. Otherwise, it's all going to come. Do what you want. Spend what you want. Do whatever you want. You got this. Right? That's not the the kind of counsel that we need Jesus to be, that Jesus is being named to be here. When we read wonderful counselor, that word, you that's like a specific title that was used in those days, this title that was conferred upon people, conferred upon people that would give instruction, give advice, give guidance, listen to me, listen, from a position of authority, like separated out, Solomon was said, to be a counselor, as people in the early years, we just finished the series on Ecclesiastes, where people would come to him and they would bring their, their unsolvable problems. And, and Solomon, in his wisdom, would offer guidance and instruction and wisdom from a position of authority and say, this is your solution. And they would do what he says. And their lives would change as a result. And so the thrust of this calling Jesus a beyond description, wonderful counselor is to simply say, maybe he has some wisdom or instruction or advice to offer us this morning that could actually do something about those problems that we have. But listen, approach matters. Approach matters. How we come how we come to the couch of the counselor matters so listen i 'm a, uh, a member at a certain fitness club because i 'm cheap it 's only ten dollars a month and, uh, and I, I' go there uh, a few days a week and I just noticed um, during the same time this pair of guys that would come regularly as well now it 's a judgment free zone okay so this is just an observation, not a judgment, not a criticism, just an observation. Indulge me, would you? You can't. These guys come in, and, and they hang, they go right into, like, I go, you know, do the thing, and then they go right into, like, the lounge area, and I don't know totally what happens there, because it's, like, tinted, and it says lounge. That costs $20 a month to get into, right? And, uh, And they go back to the lounge, and there's flowers there, there's couches, and there's magazines that I've noticed. There's also, I'm told, these hydro massage chairs that, like, blast hot hot water at your back as a massage, right? Sounds incredible. These two guys, right, they just have this habit of going right there, and I'm doing my thing along with everybody else, and then around the same time that, like, I'm getting ready to go, they're also getting ready to leave. Like, just exit the place entirely, right? Like, we're done. We did our thing. And so I just start to imagine the conversation that these dudes must have with their wives, right? Like, yep, really got after it at the gym today, honey. (laughs) Like, "Did, did you, though? Like, did you? I was imagining the conversation that they have with their healthcare professional. Like, hey, we should probably talk about some lifestyle decisions. And they're like, I don't know what the problem is. I go to the gym three days a week, 20 to 30 minutes, highlight of my week. You get what I'm saying? Like proximity to something doesn't automatically mean that change comes. And so as we approach the couch of the wonderful counselor, sometimes it's helpful just to name and audibly say, that just because we have the Bible app on our phone, just because we're in a small group, whether we go or not, doesn't matter. Just because we occasionally attend worship or we subscribe to the, to the worship set that we do on Sunday here and we could listen to the songs, we could have a worship moment outside of this morning. Just because we could do those things doesn't mean that like life change is going to happen. What I'm saying is approach matters. And so as Jesus is the wonderful counselor, let's just take just a minute and talk about some approach that matters from these like vignettes in Jesus' time. And so I want to offer you a few things. The first one is just when you approach the wonderful counselor, like be honest. Like tell the truth. Be honest. Tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help me God, because then maybe he will, right? Just be Be open, be honest. And I recognize that there's like a shame and that prevents us from wanting to tell the truth. I recognize that there's like this remarkable ability that I have, and I assume there's a couple of other you uh, who are in the room too who are just in extreme denial, extreme, uh, like, 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 uh, hand over the eyes and trying to pretend like something isn't a bigger deal than it is. I recognize that. But listen, as soon as. Healing comes when our desire is greater than our denial. That's when when healing can begin. So if I could just implore you, simply be honest. Uh, True story. Uh, A guy I knew, he he was going to a counselor once a week, every week, for months. You know, and the question, the million dollar question every time you sit down, why are you here and why now? And the answer is like, Well, there's stress. Stress in my life. Stress at work. I love my work. I love my job. But stress, man, ah, it's just constantly thinking about it, constantly worried about it. Stress at work, it's just starting to, like, I don't know if it's that, something else, but, like, home life, marriage is starting to... It's just not easy anymore, right? And the kids are pulling away, and I don't know how to bring them back. And I just recognize that I've got this hair trigger, and I'll just go off, and just, I just on a dime, like nothing takes nothing to set me off, right? And then the like, cool down time in between takes longer and longer. And, you know, I just like I, I think about the arguments I've been having more lately, and that starts to rob me of sleep. And I'm tossing, I'm turning, and then we go to the doctor, and they're telling me I got this health you know, setbacks now, It's starting to impact uh, physically the rest of me. Like, that's why I'm here. I'm just like, I can't sleep. I'm, I'm getting sicker, and I don't know why. Week after week, they talk. Eventually, the counselor tells the guy, listen, I cannot help you unless you admit you're an addict. Some people struggle with substances. Other people are addicted to certain forms and uses of technology. But the way that you have treated work the way that you have you have thrived on the adrenaline of success and how it makes you just crave and want more of it all the time listen like you're willing to sacrifice yourself you're willing to sacrifice your family you're willing to sacrifice your integrity anything just to get more of it and listen i can't help you unless you can first admit this is This is the beginning place. This is where it starts. Let's get better together. Jesus had this way of knowing. You know? A story that one of his friends told, John. Jesus goes out and he meets this woman and she's got this string of broken relationships in her life. You know, she's deeply wounded and they start talking about Life, of all things. Like, like, truly, life. The life best lived. And as they're talking, he can kind of see her sidestep and backpedal and kind of move in and out of the conversation without actually really committing. And, and so Jesus calls her out on it. He had a way of doing that, of looking right into her eyes. And in a sense, it's almost like you get the sense he's looking into her soul. And he goes, maybe does it have something to do with the fact that you've had five husbands and you're living with this guy right now and he's not your husband and like you're carrying that with you in every interaction they have. Does it maybe maybe have something to do with that? And she goes, yeah, it has something to do with that. But the thing is, church, Jesus knew that long before she ever confirmed it. In fact, Jesus knew that before he even engaged her in a conversation. When we're talking about approach Jesus as the, the wonderful counselor and be honest, we're not honest for his sake. We're honest for ours. So we can start to get better. Uh, be honest and as silly as it sounds, <laughs> want to be healed like on a, such a base level, just like want to be healed. Uh, it a psychologist joke. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but the light bulb really has to want to get changed, right? Changed. Yeah, exactly. It's a beyond dad joke. That's a pastor joke. But like, there's like a truth to it though. There's the truth of like being, like want to be healed. In the next chapter, just fresh off the heels of Jesus talking to that woman, he goes out to downtown marketplace area. He sees this guy lying by a pool. He can't walk, he's paralyzed. And Jesus goes up to him, John chapter five now, and he has the audacity to ask the guy, like in front of everybody, hey, you know, hey, do you want to be healed? And it's like, Jesus. Are you just asking that to like trip up Bible students, like from here until eternity? Like, why Why would you ask the guy if he wants to be healed? I mean, he's lying here. He's been lying here for 38 years. Of course, he wants to be healed. And Jesus asked him, No, I want to hear him say it. Do you want to be healed? And I just imagine that Jesus is asking, not even as much for his benefit as for mine, listening into that. So, for yours, listening into that. So, do you, do you want to be healed? Again, because healing will begin when your desire to get better eclipses your denial of what's actually going wrong. So do you want to be healed? This famous interaction from a Christian theologian from uh, centuries ago. So super famous, lots of buildings named after him, St. Augustine. I just love this. He's a new Christian. And he's like praying, as just many times new Christians do, and they're just offering it, like totally honestly, this is the confessions of my heart, right? And one of the things that he prays is, Lord, give me chastity. In other words, Lord, give me sexual purity, just not yet, I want the mess cleaned up, but I don't want to do the hard work of identifying some of the behaviors and some of the choices and some of the habits that I do and I'm involved in it that contribute to that mess. Jesus, could you, just, could you just change the circumstances of my life without actually changing me? That would be phenomenal. Jesus, if I could just go ahead and walk and drive up to the, to the little car wash drive-through area, throw a few bucks at the attendant put my car on the rail, put it in neutral, have some screen time, have some nap time, whatever. 10 minutes goes by and I'm sparkly clean. I can see it in the mirror on the way out and I didn't have to do a thing. And Jesus said, listen, listen, we'll get there. But I prefer a little more work in the details to get there. I want you to be honest. I also want you to have a desire to actually address not just your circumstances, but address your heart. Be honest, want to get better. And the hardest one of all of them is be willing to do whatever that wonderful counselor might ask of you, whatever he says. You ever wondered, like, these stories with Jesus, they are so bizarre sometimes, aren't they? Like, this this guy comes up to Jesus, right? He wants to be healed. He's blind. Jesus has done this countless times previous, right? Healing gives sight to the blind guy. But only this time, he comes up to Jesus, and we, we keep it real here at Encounter. So Jesus comes up to this guy and goes, oh, you want to be healed, huh? <laughs> and he, like, spits in the mud, right? It's disgusting, but I'm like, this is what Jesus did. This is our Lord and Savior. He spits in the ground, in the dirt, and he starts, like, mashing it and mixing it all together, right? Maybe adds a little more <clears throat> fluid to the concoction. He mixes it all into this, like, disgusting paste, and then he, like, scoops it up, and he just smears it on the guy's eyes, right? And I, he's blind. I don't know how much he knew what was happening, but I had to imagine, like, his context clues were coming through. Jesus puts this stuff out on his eyes, okay, and he goes, great. Now, could you go ahead and, and wash at this certain pool? Like, you, you know where it is. It's across town, Jesus. Yeah, right, but if you do that, you're gonna be able to see. And he does. And he could. And you go, Jesus, couldn't you have just like and now you're healed. Like that was an option. Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Hey man, I got this financial debt I gotta pay. It's, It's a tax thing, like I just Jesus says, Oh, grab your net, go fishing. Okay. He goes fishing. He catches a fish. It looks in its mouth. It's the the exact coinage that was required in order to pay the debt. Okay, but couldn't we have done this where I didn't have to go fishing? (laughs) Could you just like quarter behind the ear trick? Like that coin, we, we could have done that. Listen, I don't know why of all these things. And so many just like that. But I just think that there's maybe something to it where Jesus says, listen, sometimes... Obedience to me will not make sense to you. And I just want you to know. I just want you to know. Maybe it has something to do with putting my, like, mud spit in your eyes. Maybe it has something to do with, like, fishing and catching a fish and finding money in its mouth. Like, whatever it is. But sometimes obedience to me is not going to make sense to you. Because Jesus is looking far forward from that time, thousands of years later, and he's going, listen, sometimes you're going to be challenged with offering forgiveness to somebody, and you will have no idea how and when or if anybody will ever avenge you with that person who hurt you. Because obedience to me will not make sense to you, and I want you to know that. You will have to know that someday there might be a relationship that will come in your life that is just not godly, and not Christ-honoring, and you're going to need to cut that relationship off and let it go, and do not take that to the next level. And it will not make sense to you. But sometimes obedience to me does not make sense to you. You just have to know that. Sometimes it'll be a sacrifice that I'm asking you for. Maybe it'll be time. Maybe it'll be talent. Maybe it'll be treasure. And you're wondering how to afford it, and he's going, listen, it just, it's not always going to make sense sense. Moving doesn't always make sense, especially when you're so comfortable over here. Obedience to me doesn't always make sense. But be willing to do whatever it takes anyway. There's a story of this uh, this rich guy that came up to Jesus, extravagantly wealthy. Everybody knew it tons of influence He comes up to Jesus listen man I have bought and experienced everything in this world but I'm still lacking something Jesus what do I have to do to be saved and Jesus looks at the poor man and just says one thing sell it all give it to the poor and then come and follow me and the man walks away and says no that we look back at that with the benefit of knowing he's talking to Jesus, the wager, the exchange. God is offering this guy everything. He's offering him his life. Jesus is offering him eternity. Jesus is offering him heaven. It all hangs in the balance, and the only thing Jesus is asking in return is his life. And he says, I can't. Can't quite get there. Final picture. Some of you know, maybe you've seen it in your parents' house growing up. You remember what a checkbook is? Some, you sign. It's like paper. There used to be something called a blank check. It's a terrible business practice. But if you were to really, really trust somebody, you would sign the check and then hand it over to them. Right, and say like uh, whatever it costs, you know I'm good. Whatever, um, go ahead and, and buy that huge amount of trust because that person could just go ahead write whatever amount they wanted on it and then completely clear you out. Huge amount of trust. It's a a blank check. That's what Jesus is asking for. He's asking you today to say, listen, listen. Would you give me? Would you give me access to it all? Would you tell? Would you give me? Yes, as an answer, even before you knew the question. Would you say yes to all the terms and conditions and then read them afterwards? Would you give me that blank check? And what do we do? In exchange, we say no to the check and we say, you can have a gift card instead. We throw that down and say, listen, Jesus, this is a generous gift card. This is a big one, Jesus. But at the end of the day, I know how much is on it and I know exactly how much I'm willing to sacrifice for it. Jesus, you can have this far and no further. And Jesus says, I'm not looking for a check card. I'm looking for your bank card. I'm looking for it all. As we head into this last worship set, listen, I just want you to ask, maybe it's an honesty thing. Maybe it's a willingness or a desire, an open to change, a want to be changed. Maybe it has something to do with just not willing to go whatever it takes. Sometimes this goes to a do thing. Jesus, I'll give you whatever you want in gift card format. I will do whatever you want up to a point. But this far and no further, Maybe it's a do thing. Maybe for some of you today, it's a believe thing. Like the biggest threat that I see facing, robbing this generation of its faith, I don't even think is a do thing because I've seen y'all do some pretty radical stuff in the name of Jesus and I love it. But it's a believe thing. How often like I hear, listen, I just couldn't believe in a God who it's like a theological thing that trips us up. I just, I just couldn't get, stand behind a God who would allow this or who caused this. I just, If I died and went to heaven and I found out that, that God was responsible for this, I just couldn't believe And what you're saying, in gift card format, what you're saying is I can't imagine a world in which I don't have the most sophisticated brain power possible. I couldn't imagine a world where I don't have the widest perspective possible. I couldn't imagine a world where, where God actually has something going on beyond me, where God actually has a perspective that's beyond mine. The biggest threat that I see this generation robbing it of its faith isn't a do thing. I think it comes down to a pride thing. I just couldn't Go all the way with bank card kind of faith. But I'll do anything up to a point. I'm gonna celebrate communion in just a moment. And when those elements come around the bread, the bread and the juice. I just want you to pause for a minute and just ask God where He's challenging you this week. Is it an honesty thing? Is it a desire thing? Or is it a doing or believing whatever he would have for you kind of thing this week? But you stand up? Let's pray together. Our gracious God in heaven, Lord, as we approach your throne, God, you are such a wonderful counselor. God, rescue our vision today. Rescue it from the, from the grips of quaintness, from nativity scenes, God, remind us, every time we see one of those, remind us that you are a God who breaks into world history. You are a God who breaks into our history. You are a God who can solve these problems. You are a God who demands honesty, who creates in us this incredible desire for wholeness and health and restoration. You are a God. Not only is asking us to give whatever we can, but you are a God who gave us your whole life first.